Okay, welcome. Good morning. Um, Super Bowl morning. Some don't care, some care a lot. Yep, see, we have some who care a lot. And uh, so welcome. We have another um, tough message, but a good message. James just doesn't let up. He just, if he would just give us a breather one Sunday, uh, but, but it, is a, is, it is a powerful message for us this morning. I think we're all going to feel it, and I think the Lord wants us to. And the name, uh, I've titled our message this morning, The Power of Our Possessions. The Power of Our Possessions. And um, we're just going to jump right in. We're going to look at the first, we're in, we're, we're in chapter 5 now. Um, t- last chapter of James. Um, we've got a few more weeks. We'll be finished the end of March. We're still not sure what we're going to get into after that, but we're thinking about several different books to jump into. Uh, but this morning, we're going to look at the first six verses of James chapter 5. So let me read the passage, and then we'll pray, and, and we'll get started. James writes, Come now, you rich Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, or corroded in some translations, and their rust or corrosion will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure... Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure and you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter and you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Father, um, we pray that we would come this morning um, to listen to your word with open hearts and open ears and a great desire to learn what you would have us to learn. We pray that we would never get to a point that we don't desire the... um, the Word of God, and desire to grow and desire to learn. We'd never uh, become complacent, but we'd be eager to learn and let the Holy Spirit teach us through Your Word. We know we need that, Father. So, Father, we pray as we look this morning, You'll crush any pride that we have and that You'll guide us and direct us in the power of Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in my 30s, like most of you, a lot of you, in my early 30s, we had three of our five children. And Amy and I spent a lot of time with our kids, uh, with school activities, with extracurricular activities. They were in a lot of different things. You can imagine, just like you are, we were running everywhere. And naturally, we met a lot of parents. And um, I can remember one couple we met in particular that we hit it off with. They had children our ages. Um, And I especially uh, 
really kind of clicked with the dad. And our friendship was grounded in Christian faith. We shared the same desires. We wanted to raise our family in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and, and teach our kids uh, all about Christ. And, and we both attended uh, conservative Reformed churches. We went to different churches, but we did go to the same type of churches. He had worked in real estate, and uh, I had just started my real estate company. And so we shared a lot of things in common, a lot of beliefs, and we became great friends and our kids became friends. We spent a lot of time together and we talked a lot. Uh, this guy was a talker and he was fascinating, great, great talker. And uh, so we talked a lot about the Lord and life in general and we really enjoyed our friendship. I enjoyed his friendship, I hope he did mine. We've kind of drifted apart now. But as I, as I got to know him, um, you would never know this, but I came to realize he was immensely wealthy. Um, he never showed it. But apparently there was so much wealth, he didn't even need to work uh, because he just managed the family estate. And, and it was fascinating to me that even though there was this vast wealth in his life, that he was extremely thrifty and he was frugal. And I would even say the people that knew him well, that he was miserly. In fact, when his cars broke down, I'm telling you the truth, to get parts to fix his cars, they were so old, you had to go to the junkyard. Fascinating. Now, there's really nothing necessarily wrong with that mindset. Matter of fact, I remember thinking, I wish I was a little bit more like that. <laughs> Until one day, he told me he couldn't give any money to the church. He just said, Kent, I just have a really hard time, and I've never been able to give to the church. And it just blew me over because we'd spent so much time together and we'd, we, we'd hit on so many cylinders. And when he said that, I just didn't have a category for it. And I still remember it. These, these, these vast riches and a genuine love for the Lord, reading his Bible, knowing his Bible, going to church. And yet he said he couldn't give any money. Now, I think he eventually said he gave some, but I'm not sure. Now, this is exactly what James is going to be talking about to us this morning. He's going to be talking about true believers who get caught up in their possessions and their money, and they just can't give, and they can't share. And, and it, it's a serious, a serious thing. And matter of fact, it's one of the most serious dangers that we're going to find out that can happen to any real Christian. We can find ourselves living for the world and have an attitude of, of loving the world and holding on and stacking up our possessions and not able to share. One commentator on the book of James said this, that this, this right here, our possessions, is one of the high-risk dangers for the believer, 
on what they do with their possessions. You've seen those high voltage um, um, electrical high lines, and they have this, this big sign, danger, danger, don't get close. That's what James is saying to us this morning, that every one of us who have any possessions whatsoever have a serious danger facing us that these possessions and our money can take us off to a point that we can't give to the Lord. And James knows we're prone to wander. And he knows that one of the first indications that we're buying the world and we're slipping into the world is seen on how we manage our possessions. Well, think about this. Christianity is the religion of a heart, of our heart, right? And Christ came to change our hearts, to circumcise our hearts. And if you've experienced that, and I hope you have, you've had an inner transformation, a change, a result should be seen in the outward expression, starting with how we handle our money and our possessions. And I can tell you, that's an indication of we, if we have a healthy spiritual life or not. And James is trying to make this point. And here's what he's saying. You can write a systematic theology. You can teach a seminary class. You can have a leadership role in the church. But if you're not using your possessions to bless others, well then, it's all for naught. Because either you're a generous giver or you're a nest egg sitter. And why is that? Why is that? Because how we handle our possessions tells a lot about what's going on in our hearts. You see, money in and of itself isn't a sin. But James wants to find out if our possessions are really our security blanket and not the Lord Himself. And here's the problem. Holding on to our possessions too tightly obviously will never bring happiness. But even worse, if we hold on to our possessions too tightly, they will that will prevent us from having the actual blessings that God wants us to have. And James is saying this is a very, very real concern in his church, in our church, and in the churches he wrote to. So he's concerned. He's very concerned. How do you handle your possessions? And he wants us to listen to what he has to say about it. So I've chopped our passage up into three sections. Verse 1 through 3 is the deceptive reliance. There is a deceptive reliance that we have on our possessions sometimes. It's deceptive. It's deceptive. And verse 4 is there is a, a dishonest exploitation sometimes with our possessions, a dishonest exploitation where we can take advantage of people with the possessions and money we have. And lastly, there is a deceitful indulgence, the deceitful indulgence that can cause us to 
love our possessions and not the Lord like we should. So let's jump in. Number one, there's a deceptive reliance potentially that all of us have relying on our possessions. And look what he writes. He writes, number one, come now, come now, you rich people, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Now this word come now was the exact same word that we used last week in the starting of our section in chapter 4, verse 13. Come now. Come now is means to, to wake up and listen. And last week we talked about it. Remember what we talked about last week? James says he takes us and he grabs us by our lapels and he says, come now, wake up and listen. You need to make sure that your life is in line with God's will. Don't outrun God's will for your life. Don't plan your life without accepting and relying on what God wants. In other words, we summed it up by saying, write in the calendar what you want to do, but then hand God the eraser, because if He wants to change it, and His will is different, then that's what we need to do. And so many Christians, James was concerned about, is that we plan our lives, and we lay out our lives, and we go out and run ahead of God. And now, He's coming to talk about the possessions that we have. Not only our time, but do our possessions line up? Do we use our possessions and our money the way God wants us to? And so he's saying the same thing. Come now. Come now. Listen. In the Greek, it's a sense of urgency. It's almost like it's easy for us to doze off spiritually. And James has given us this, this spiritual elbow. And he's saying, come now again. I want you to listen and wake up. This is a very serious area for every one of us. James is wise. And he says, listen, come now, you rich people. Now, many of us, when they heard, hear the word rich, will say, well, that's not for me. That's going to be for someone else. But I want to point out to you that according to the Zepia Research Group in 2023, the average global personal income, the average income for a person in the world, average, is $9,733 a year. That's the average income for people across the globe. And if you make more than $9,773, a year and you live on this planet, then you are considered above average and every one of us in this room are considered rich to that standard. And so James is speaking to every one of us. Everyone in here has resources and possessions that classify us as rich. And so none of us are exempt this morning. It's all for all of us. And so James begins painting this vivid picture of the day of judgment. He goes to the day of judgment. And what's going to take place to everyone who not only doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, but also they've shown it by the way they've lived and loved their riches and they've denied Christ. And, and it's an awesome, scary picture. I mean, it's unbelievable. Look what he says. Come now, you rich people. You weep and howl 
for your miseries which are coming upon you. Now, what does he mean by that? He's saying, in other words, if you place your trust in your possessions instead of Christ, James is saying your problems have already started to occur. Miseries are already on their way and coming upon you. God's judgment is already aimed at you. It's coming. In other words, if your security is in your possessions rather than Christ, judgment is building up. It's like the Hoover Dam. The water is building up and growing and growing and growing behind that dam. And one day that dam is going to break and all hell will break loose on you. That's what he's saying. And it's only a matter of time because James is saying the Lord will return and you will feel the full intensity of God's wrath that is beyond description. Now, it's not just about money. Money is the result of the way you handle it wrongly is the result of not knowing Christ and living to follow Him. And James is saying, if you're like everybody out in the world and you're living like this, then it's only a matter of time. Now he goes on. He goes on to describe this. People who choose to trust in their money instead of the Lord must understand that they will meet their maker sooner than later. And it's a bleak, horrific picture of Judgment Day. Listen, he's saying, look what he says. If people clearly understood what God is bringing their way, they would start weeping. They would start weeping. They would start bawling their eyes out. And this word weep is they would have an audible grief of knowing that devastation is coming, that it's beyond their understanding. Knowing they have a future of continued misery, not only would they start weeping, but he says they would howl. How? How too? It describes the sound of a person uttering when they suffer this extraordinary pain and grief. I mean, James is trying to get our attention. And he is. Now, relying on money can be deceptive. It can give us a false sense of security because it's not permanent. And James continues to give us these examples. Look, number one, he says, your riches have rotted. Your riches have rotted. Probably refers in the original Greek to food. The riches, uh, scholars think it refers to food that it's been stored up. And food, as we know, eventually rots. We remember last week the rich fool who said, I'll build bigger barns and I'll store my grain and I'll have the food for a lot longer and I'll live longer and I can relax and I can prop up. And James is saying this food will rot. I was thinking about this. Can we find food a hundred years ago? 
It's all gone because it's, it's rotted, it's decayed. And James continues to emphasize that riches are like that. They're deceptive. They're short-lived. Possessions are the same way. Look what he says. Your garments have become moth-eaten. We were in our duplex for 10 months, and I went to get this great sweater I really liked, and I pulled it out, and I said, Amy, this got holes in it. And and I'm like, the moths have eaten this sweater. And I thought it was fairly new. And it was less than 10 months that I had holes in this sweater. I had to throw it away. That's what James says. It's ruined. It's gone. And that's the way money and possessions are. They're just like that. And look in verse 3, and then he goes on to say, your gold and your silver have corroded or rusted. That's interesting. Gold and silver don't rust. They don't corrode. But, but James is making his point with irony. Because what he's saying is, in God's economy, what's the most precious on this earth, gold and silver, it doesn't matter. In God's economy, gold and silver won't even last either. That, that it won't bring happiness. It won't bring lasting peace. Because when God brings judgment, Even gold and silver will be doomed for corruption. And so the corrosion or the rust of the gold and silver also serves as a testimony against you and will consume your flesh like fire, that your flesh will be consumed. So for example, that's the testimony you hanging on to gold and silver and money and possessions, that's confirmation. Your love for that, James is saying, is a testimony against you in God's court of judgment coming. That's what he's saying. And the rich on the day of judgment will be aggressively exposed on how they lived for themselves and for this world. And some commentator wrote this, it was unbelievable. He said, they will need buckets for tears when the Lord returns. That's how bad it will be because of their unbelief and misplaced trust in the things of this world. And this commentator goes on to say this, their pain will be uncontainable, audible grief as James says, accompanied by wailing and sobbing, just like when someone suffers traumatic loss of a loved one. This is real. Satan doesn't want us to think about this because he wants to take as many to hell with him as he can. And James is saying, I'm going to paint a real picture of you, for you of what judgment is like. And for those who love this world and place their trust in the things of this world. And look why it happened. Notice the end of verse 3. Why? Because the rich in this world and the poor toward God, look what they've done. They have stored up treasure. Their treasure. You know what that word means? It means hoarded. They've hoarded all this stuff that the world has to offer, and they've stacked it up. Ford and I had a tenant that was a hoarder, and I'd never seen one before. And she wouldn't let us in. She wouldn't let us in. She finally quit paying. We had to get in. 
And I, I'll never forget walking in this, this duplex and stuff stacked everywhere. Uh, I mean, everywhere. Um, books, newspapers, magazines, food, trash, clothing. Every inch of the floor was, was just covered. You, you had to step over stuff up the stairs, in the bathroom, on the countertops. It was everywhere. And that was the evidence we needed to get her out. And James is saying that the possessions you have, the possessions that you treasure, these possessions that you have hoarded, this is the evidence that God will use against you, look what he says, to consume your flesh in the fires of hell forever. Wow. Yikes. You know, money and possessions will never bring permanent happiness. And they will not protect us from the coming judgment. That's what James wants us to be reminded of. How crazy are we to put any weight in those things? And James says, don't be deceived by relying on your possessions. Watch out for the danger of placing your confidence in things that won't last. That's number one, the danger that James is warning us about. Don't let your possessions become your security blanket. All right, number two, there's a dishonest exploitation sometimes of our possessions. Now, James is going to talk about a wealthy man who's hired men to work for him. He has land, they've mowed his fields, and the idea is that wealth allows us to hire people to work for us. In other words, if you have money, that gives you power to hire somebody, even if it's to clean something out or mow your yard, to work for you. And a lot of times people will take that power and use it to exploit people. You've heard it said, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that power, even in your life, can be used to exploit and take advantage of people you hire. And so look what he writes in verse 4, Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. Now, these laborers, these workers were day workers, and they needed to be paid their works, pay, so they could eat that day. And the wealthy landowner who'd hired them, he wanted to push his weight around and decide, I'm not going to pay them today. I'm going to wait. I've got other places to use my money. And these workers had no way to collect. They had no way to get paid. They had no way to get their money, and they needed the money to eat, but the landowner held all the cards. And unfortunately, many employers are that way today still. They're dishonest. They exploit workers, and they don't pay them. Sometimes they never pay them, or they delay paying them. And, and James is saying, when people do work for you, you pay them as soon as you can. 
You pay them what's due. I love what Harry Ironside said about this. He said, God is not an uninterested spectator in things like this in our lives. He's deeply concerned about the injustice and oppression which causes such bitter suffering. As of old, he heard the cries of the slaves in Egypt when they sighed and groaned because of their unfair, wicked treatment by the taskmaster taskmaster of Pharaoh. So he still takes note of every wrong that the privileged and powerful inflict upon the poor and the downtrodden. God is watching. And look what he says at the end of verse 4. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of armies, of the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, God sees it. He knows every worker that's been cheated. He knows all the crooked ways of the employer, and it's reached all the way to him. He hears their cries. He knows their heartache, and he knows when they've been defrauded, and he knows who is defrauding them, and he's, he's keeping account of that. God's so concerned about that that workers aren't exploited. He even wrote a law about it in Deuteronomy 24, 14. You don't have to turn there. Let me, let me read it to you. This is in God's law. He says, You shall not exploit a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your strangers who are in your land or in your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and set his heart on it, so that he does not cry out against you to the Lord, and it become a sin to you. That's what James is talking about. <clears throat> Proverbs says this in Proverbs 3, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. That's what he's talking about. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back, and tomorrow I'll give it to you, and when you have it, with you. And so God wants us to use our money in a way that demonstrates our love for Him, that we're different than the world. So let me ask you a question. Do you pay people as soon as they complete their work? Or maybe do you ride them a little bit or, or make them wait? It's a wake-up call. It's widely known in the construction business that if you want good subcontractors, you pay them quick because most of the world rides them. They don't pay them and they delay them. Perhaps you don't have people work for you. Well, do you pay your bills on time? Do you delay? Do you wait? Again, that's a witness. Well, let me ask you this. What about the area of tipping? It's been heard and said many times that Christians are typically poor tippers. There's no way to substantiate it. But I can tell you this. Christians should be known as generous tippers. Not below average. Not average but above average, generous. What does that say to a person waiting your table that watches you pray before you eat, 
that speaks about, hears you speak about Christ, maybe sees a Bible, and you leave a meager average tip. See, that, that's the spirit of what James is talking about. If you're wondering what kind of tip to give, let me suggest, err on the high side if you can, if you can afford it. Always let it be known that you are generous. That's what James is saying. How you deal with people in the area of money is a major witness, and God is paying attention. It reaches His ears in heaven. Well, let me ask you. All of us have a different amount of possessions. But we all have a lot compared to the world. Are you using your possessions to bless others? Are you? Can you use your possessions to do more? To bless others? Christians lose their witness. James is, is grabbing us and saying, you've got to look how you deal with money. Someone said this, it's not how much you give that God notices, it's how much you keep. How about that? So we've seen that there's a potential de deceptive reliance on our possessions. It's easy for us. Uh, we've noticed that you can also have a dishonest exploitation and take advantage of people. And lastly, there is an opportunity for Christians to be deceived and indulge in their possessions wrongly. So those of us who have riches, includes all of us here, are prone to indulge like those of the world. Look what he says in verse 5. You have lived for pleasure on the earth and lived luxuriously. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You know what's interesting? For the non-believer, for the person who has not come to faith in Christ, life is really as good as it's ever going to get right here on earth. Uh, it is their best life now. But a sinful, self-indulgent life on earth, James is telling us, leads to eternal suffering in hell. And the believer's life's opposite, right? Earth is really as bad as it gets, and our best life is still to come. And... Let's not forget, though, that if you only make the average annual income of the world of $9,700, you can still indulge yourself and live for yourself because the issue that James is talking about is not the amount of money in your account. It is your heart. Where is your heart? You can have little or you can have a lot. The issue is not your bank account, it's your heart. You can live for the Lord with $50 million in the bank, and you can live for the Lord with $50 in the bank. Because the issue is what is going on inside. 
What we do with our possessions tells us. Now, James is not suggesting that God doesn't want us to enjoy luxuries or a great meal or a good trip or a nice car. He's not saying that. That's not the point. Where's your heart with those things? Spurgeon gives a great example. It says, uh, I heard this from a message that Eric Alexander gave. He said Spurgeon was on a train and uh, he was riding in first class, bought a first class ticket. See, it's okay to have a first class ticket, Keenan. And a little man came along and he looked in the first class compartment and he thought he recognized Spurgeon. And he left and he came back and he finally opened the doors agitated. You know, Spurgeon's riding in first class. And the little man said, Mr. Spurgeon, I am taking care of the Lord's money. Back in the back. And Mr. Spurgeon looked up from his book and said, I am taking care of the Lord's servant. <laughs> so Spurgeon was saying, hey, it's okay to enjoy nice things. As long as your heart is not buying them and holding them and sitting on them and living for them. And your checkbook will tell you what's most important. We can watch what a person does with their possessions and we can see what is really going on in their hearts. And you see, what it comes down to is, is really where is your heart? Where is your heart? And I've and I got to stop and ask right now. There's some in here. We have a large crowd, really. There's some in here not 100% know Christ as their Lord and Savior. I, I mean, there just are people here that have never come all the way to Jesus Christ. They know all about Christ, just like Judas. But they're not willing to make Him Lord and Savior of their life. And this should expose you. Because if you haven't, where you're headed is unimaginable. It is grief and pain that will cause you to yell out loud in agony forever. And so you're being warned today. James is warning all of us. And James is also warning all of us who do know Christ that one of the great dangers we face is to grab the possessions of this world and use them as a security blanket and think they give us security, and they don't. What are you living for? What are you storing up? What are you holding on to? And he goes on, verse 6, you have condemned and put to death the righteous person. He offers you no resistance. This means that the rich guy, he's used his power in the courts or whatever to crush the poor, to put them to death, and he couldn't do anything. One commentator said, the bread of the needy is the life of the poor. Whoever deprives them of it is a man of blood. To take away a neighbor's living is to murder him. To deprive an employee of his wages is to shed blood. So this is... It's pretty heavy stuff. Pretty heavy stuff. But it's good stuff. It's what we need. It's what I need. 
Let me share this with you. I've thought about whether I should or not, but I, I think it's, it's okay. Over the years, I've been blessed to be a part of John MacArthur's ministries. Um, I guess for now, 17, 18 years. And I've been able to get to know a lot of people. Matter of fact, Jay Flowers, the Chief Operating Officer of Grace to You, was here last week. Phil Johnson, the Executive Director of Grace to You. Luke Cherry, Vice President of Masters University, was here a couple of weeks ago. Austin Duncan is the head of the MacArthur, uh, Director of MacArthur Center for Expository Preaching. Mark Zakovich is a controller of Grace Community Church, and on and on and on. And you know what has been fascinating for me to hear? Over the years, from behind the scenes, how John MacArthur himself deals with money. Over and over again, I have heard stories how he, and he doesn't tell anybody, how he goes and helps somebody. Well, he'll buy them a car. I've heard several times, well, he'll go to a young uh, seminary student or one of the young professors and pay off all their credit cards. On and on and on the things he does with his money. And the thing that impressed me most about John is when you get to know him, he does not care about money. He cares about blessing others with what God has given. Incredible example. It's an incredible example. I was in a board meeting for Grace to You in October, and we were sitting around the table talking about the millions of dollars that had come into that ministry that was in excess. And here's what John said I want to give it all away. Because I want ministries and people all over the world to have it that need it. And here's what he said. And then we'll know if God wants grace to you to continue because he will continue bringing the money in. Because if he doesn't, then we'll know it's time to quit. Now that's the example on how God wants us to manage our possessions. And it's a continual battle. It's a continual choice every day, isn't it? You're not going to walk out of here and check a box and say, I've got it done. No, it's a battle every day. It's a battle every day. Spurgeon said this, in all my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed, has never been compromised. The truth is that it's beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to Him, He will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. And so the question is, are you benefiting, blessing others with your possessions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for truth and we thank you for the Holy Spirit uh, that can work in our lives. 
Uh, we thank you, Father, that you would send your Son into this dark world and to save us, uh, to give us a substitute that would die for our filthiness, our sickness, and our sin that is destined us to hell. And Father, we thank you that Christ would not only die for us and love us, but Father, you would not leave us there, that you would, you would give us the tools and the principles and the ways that we should live as we remain on this earth. Father, we desire, we desire that. We desire to be men and women that when we pass this earth, that when people walk out of that funeral home, they will think of us, he was a generous or she was a generous person. Father, help us. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. She's picking a date for y'all to come over to the... Yeah, we're finally back in our house as of about a week ago. And there's still a lot to do, but we're going to have a get-together for the young marriage at our house here. Hopefully, hopefully within a month or something. But I'll send an email She's going to... When she gets her act together, finally. <laughs> I'll let y'all know. <laughs> okay, it'll be fun.
Yeah. Since that red light's still on, we're good. Oh, <laughs> but even, you know, even the battery indicator lights.